I think one of the questions you want to ask yourself is, is do you really want to have real knowledge? Um, As a proud young man came to Socrates. Now, Socrates was actually a pretty good-sized guy. He was a philosopher, but he was strong, muscular guy. And so this young man came to him and said, uh, Oh, great Socrates, I'm coming to you for knowledge. And Socrates immediately recognized him as a pompous, foolish young man, and so needing to be taught a lesson. So he led the young man from where they were all the way down to the seashore and kept walking out into the sea until they got about chest deep. And so Socrates turned to the young man then, who's facing, and he said, what do you want? And he said, knowledge, O wise Socrates. So Socrates took his hands, put him on his shoulder, and shoved him underwater. And he held him there for about 30 seconds. He let him up. What do you want? He said, wisdom, O great and wise Socrates. Okay. Shoved him down again. This time he held him 30, 35, 40 seconds. He let him up. This time he's gasping for air. He says, what do you want? And the young man gasping said, well, uh, knowledge, O wise and wonderful Socrates. He jammed him back underwater again. This time for 40 to 50 seconds and let him up. And as he came up, he says, what do you want? He says, air, air, I need air. And he says, well, when you want knowledge as much as you have wanted air, then you will have knowledge. And I think there's, there's a lot of truth in that. But what kind of knowledge are you talking about? Charles Swindle, back years ago, shows you how old I am. I was reading this when it was new. Uh, Three steps forward, two steps back. That was 1980. Uh, In that it says this. Think of the scriptures as an absolutely accurate map. A map tells you how to get to a certain destination. But just looking at a map won't automatically transport you to Arizona or England or Peru. Getting Getting to those places means you have to make effort. You have to pay the cost, take the time to travel, stay at it until you arrive. In a word, it's persevere. So it is in the Christian life. God's map is reliable and available. It is also clear and direct. But there is no hocus pocus in its pages that automatically sends its readers by some magic carpet to the destination. So... Similarly, knowing how to get there by looking at a map is very different from looking at a map and knowing how to get there after you actually had been there. There's a difference. There's a different knowledge involved. So I want to talk to you about, uh, just before we get into the fullness of this lesson, and that is the knowledge you may be reaching for might not be real knowledge in what I'm talking about tonight. John MacArthur, uh, way back, uh, just going to tell you, this must have been around 1976, on a tape, it tells you how old it is too, right? It was on a tape, he was explaining Ephesians 5, 
15 through 17, he said, the sum total of man's knowledge could be represented graphically. Up until 1845, the sum total of human knowledge would have been about a one-inch thick piece of paper, well, I mean, with paper, telling everything that man knew. From 1845 to 1945, all of human knowledge could be held on three inches of paper. 1945 to 1976, that stack would be the height of the Washington Monument. In campus life, that's, that's knowledge of man. Campus life back in 1979, again, way old, says knowledge is exploding. More than 2,000 pages a minute. Even Einstein could not keep up with that. In fact, if you read, this is in 1979, if you read 24 hours a day from the age 21 to 70 and you retained all you read, you would be one and a half million years behind if you were to ever finish. R. Panet uh, adopted, that's A-R-P-A-N-E-T, adopted TCP and IP. Y'all know what that is? TCP, IP. On January the 1st, 1983. It's hard to believe, isn't it? That's when that was adopted. Uh, and the researchers began to assemble the network of networks in 1983. That became what we call the Internet. I'm sorry, Al Gore did not do this. The only world uh, at that time that we knew of that, w- that we were looking at, uh, it was Tim Bern- uh, Berners-Lee who basically invented what we call the World Wide Web. But it really wasn't recognizable until about 1990, even though it was started back in the 80s. Google, at this point, just showing you the difference now, talking about knowledge, Google now receives over 63,000 searches per second on a given day, average given day. The average figure of how many people use Google a day, which translates into at least 2 trillion searches per year, that's 3.8 million searches per minute, 228 million searches per hour, and 5.6 billion searches per day, searching for knowledge. But we're not really talking about just knowledge. I want to talk to you about real knowledge. Dr. David R. Nichols, in the book called Who's in Charge, says, talking about religious knowledge and real knowledge, said, the Pharisees And the Sadducees had the best information anyone could have in their day. If you asked them, they would tell you they were in touch with revelation as well. But when the revelation of the fullness of God stood in front of them with skin on, they called him Beelzebub, Matthew 12 and verse 24. So how can this be? How can people who are trained in the scriptures some of whom are even anointed, if you will, by God to perform their ministry, how can they deny the revelation of the Son of God? There's a kind of zeal in the teaching gift 
when it is not submitted to apostolic and prophetic authority that is destructive. The zeal combines itself with pride and knowledge to oppose what cannot be controlled. And Jesus could not be controlled by the religious hypocrisy of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And so they killed him. I want us to observe. So sometimes what I'm trying to say is even when it's real knowledge, some of us don't even want to go there. That's frightening. So let's observe uh, really from our text. And we're going to run through this pretty quick. Three of the explanations of real knowledge and how we obtain them, okay? That's, whoa, didn't mean to do that. So that's, that's the lesson right there. Uh, the explanation of the gift of real knowledge. Let's just read. If, you're, if you've got your Bible on your lap, we'll go back and look again. Second Peter chapter 1, 1 through 4. I want to look at this gift. It says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ, or Jesus our Lord. Verse 3, key. As His divine power has given to all us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, and which have been given to us Exceeding great and precious promises. The point I just want to bring out is, first, real knowledge is a gift. God gives it to us. We, we, this is not something you attain to by sheer will. I mean, it's not you can go out and conduct a scientific experiment and arrive at this kind of knowledge. This real knowledge is a gift from God. And you can either apply yourself and look at it, or you can not. But it's ultimately a gift from God. So whatever you know about God came to you as a gift. The real knowledge that really matters, God gave it to us. The second little truth I want you to see is the explanation of the growth of real knowledge. How does that happen? How does our knowledge of this real knowledge grow? And how does that occur? It says, beginning in verse 5, but also for this very reason... Giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. So it is, it is by our diligence. We must apply ourselves to it. It's not just going to fall on us. When I said it was a gift, it's not something that rolls off the top of the house onto your head in the morning. And add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge. So, and then our moral excellence, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, perse- perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness, love. Then it says this, verse 8 is critical. For if these things are yours, so you have those basically, and abound, that means they're growing. That's that growth thing. You will be neither barren nor unfruitful, and notice the word, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you're going to be growing. If these are yours and you're abounding in them, then you won't be unfruitful, you won't be barren, particularly you won't be unfruitful and barren in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 10, Therefore, brethren, uh, be even more diligent. Again, make effort to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. 
for an inheritance will be supplied to you abundantly. So yes, it is a gift, but there is a growth. And that growth you have to apply yourself to. So God gives us this knowledge here. But it, it's sitting on your lap doesn't mean you've studied it. Sitting on your shelf doesn't mean you know it. Sitting in the Bible class doesn't mean you're listening. Right? You got, you got to put some effort into it. And I know you can get bored with anything. I mean, I think it's one of the reasons God gave us Leviticus. Okay. Just to remind us. Thirdly, the explanation of the ground of real knowledge. We're going somewhere with this. The ground of real knowledge. Now in this, we're going to look at verses 12 through 21, which basically the thing. But if you want to get ahead of me, uh, take a look particularly at 16, 17, 18, and then 21. Let me just read, walk you through this. It says, for this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you. That's a big issue with them. Reminding, and by the way, uh, uh, it never hurts to cover a topic again. Because I don't know about you. I can't remember what I said a minute ago. I don't know about you, but I can't remember what I said a minute ago. Remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. He knew he was going to die, and he, John makes it clear. Verse 15, moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. So that's why I'm writing it down. Now, look at verse 16, 17, 18 particularly. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables. We're not promoting something we heard somewhere. This is not Aesop's fables. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables. He's fixing to tell you the specific thing that is the absolute proof to him and to you and me if we really believe he's telling the truth here. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He's not talking about when they first met him. He's not talking about when he preached his sermon. He's talking about something specific here. Verse 17. For he received, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So this is when they're up on Mount Hermon, uh, probably above the snow line. And suddenly a cloud comes over and... This comes out of the cloud. Verse 18. And we heard this voice. So he's not saying, I'm the only one that heard it. At least there were three other witnesses there. And we heard this voice, which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Even giving it the name, the holy mountain now. So there's the proof that this is real knowledge. He is the real deal. And you can talk about all the knowledge in the world, folks. If you don't know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you don't know anything. That's the real knowledge. 
Because this is about Jesus Christ. Everything he's been talking about here, going all the way back to verse 2 again. The knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Remember, that's how this started. Through the knowledge of him. Again, verse 3. That's been what he's been driving home each time. Verse 19. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as light shines in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. So we know all the Old Testament scriptures that told us the Messiah was coming. And I'm telling you, I've got confirmation that he's come. And here's proof that isn't even mentioned about his resurrection. Verse 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. That means basically none of that came just because people wanted to write that stuff down. They weren't just making stuff up. Verse 21. For prophecy never came by the will of man. They didn't sit back and say, you know, I think I'll write something. Now, have there been books like that? Many. Pseudepigraphers galore. Somebody says, well, I know some books. They're not in the Bible. Yeah, there's a reason. It's not like they didn't know about them. They were not included for a real reason. Uh, Verse 21. For prophecy never came by the will of man. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So what he's claiming for them is now true of him. Okay? So now he's saying, I'm reminding you of these things. I want you to know about it. So real knowledge comes to the real knowledge of Jesus. And the grounding of that is in these events that we saw, the Holy Spirit revealing such things to the apostles, but then actually seeing them occur. So that's the real knowledge. So you can learn all that's on the internet. Okay. You can't. Right? You can learn all that men knows. Okay. But you can't. You can read all the books that have ever been written. Okay. But you can't. We can go to all the colleges and learn everything you need to know. Okay, but you can't. The truth is, if that's your definition of real knowledge, you're always going to be dumb. Do you hear me? If you've gone to one or two classes and suddenly you're full of yourself and you think you really know some stuff, maybe your IQ's way up there and we all should play Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan to you. Okay, that's great. But you still don't know anything. You hear me? If you knew everything, even in the field of study that you will pick, which you won't because it's growing that fast, you will never get there. Well, I'm going to go to school. I'll know. No, you won't. Do you hear how fast this is growing? How much knowledge there is? But you can have real knowledge and you can have it complete. And if you don't have this, you don't have real knowledge. You just have information. Real knowledge is knowledge of Jesus. But it does take effort. And I want to talk about that just a second because this may be the most important part of the lesson, which is the end, which is the best part of a lesson, right? The ending of a lesson is a really good part. It's what I usually stay for. Because when it's over, I'm not listening anymore. All right. So, Steve Brown, in a book called How to Talk So People Will Listen, 
which was written way back in 1993, and yes, I was alive then. President Nixon uh, said to have had once had a conversation with Winston Churchill's son. He told him how much he admired the prime minister's speaking ability and how he particularly was so impressed with how Winston Churchill could speak extemporaneously just and do such fabulous job. Now, extemporaneously means just off the cuff, right? Just start talking, and he could just do it. And he says, I'm, I was so impressed and admired uh, Prime Minister uh, Winston Churchill's ability at giving extemporaneous speeches. And Churchill's son said this, Oh, yes, I've watched my father work for hours preparing those extemporaneous speeches. That's the truth about everybody. If you're going to be good in your field, you got to work at it, whatever it is. If you're going to have real knowledge, you got to actually pick up a Bible and read it. Amen? You can't expect a preacher up here to pour something into you. You can't. We'll try. But remember, we're going to have to remind you about other stuff. So let, let's just say that, that I was going to teach you everything that's in the New Testament. 23 years now, I've come close, right? But about half of you weren't here 23 years ago, right? How many were here 23 years ago? Looks like about 20-something. The rest of you, where were the rest of you at? Laying out of church? Anyway, so... So now, so I was teaching through, I remember I taught through the entire book of Matthew. You missed that. So you'll never know the book of Matthew. So, you know, you understand what I'm saying? So now it's 23 years. And if I repeated all that, everything I've taught 23, 24 years ago, half of us would be dead. The other half would move to another church. We're not going to cover everything. You say, well, we are a lot of other Bible class teachers here. But if you leave it up to what you're going to be taught, you're going to forget a lot of it. You're not going to get a bunch of it. Some of it you're going to hear it and it's going to bing off your head. You're not listening because, I don't know, the kid in your lap burped or something. You know, that's, it's just that's the way we are. And we don't, that's why it has to be repeated and repeated and repeated. And I have to do the same thing. I have to go back to my Bible. I have to look at it again. I have to look at it again. But the real knowledge is knowledge of Jesus. And all this other out there, you're not going to get it all anyway. So why don't you focus on what really you know you can get, which is Jesus, and understand you're not going to, we're not, I'm not going, there's no way I can teach you everything in the New Testament. Just the New Testament. I can, I've taught through every book in the Bible here. Did you know that? I gave a summary of all 66 books on Sunday nights here. You remember that? The core? Obviously, you remember all of that. Had to be reminded, right? Over and over again. It just doesn't fall on you. It doesn't happen like that. Now, this is actually a preacher. If you ever want to have a, a cringy moment, go look that guy up on YouTube. And what he's doing is he's speaking off the cuff. Ouch. Okay. So I heard this many, many years ago. 
This is not about him. I'm just using him as an example. I don't have a picture of this, what happened. What happened is there were, preachers have these conferences where they teach you how to preach kind of thing. And boy, do we need it. Amen? Don't say amen to that. So, but, okay, so we have these conferences where they teach us how to do it. Or you go to college, they teach you how to do it, right? So they tell you about how to, uh, let's say, there's all kinds of lectures at this particular conference. It was on how to study, how to prepare a lesson, how to outline lessons, how to develop the thought, how to find the, the, the Greek word and the central verb in the text, uh, how to preach, how to illustrate that, how to speak, those kind of things, how to put it all together. Well, at the end of the day, because there's a whole day of this, at the end of the day, there was an elderly preacher during the Q&A stood up. He says, uh, I have something I'd like to say. He said, say on. He's an old guy. He said, well, basically, I don't believe anything y'all been teaching all day. He said, y'all saying you got to study, you got to do these outlines. He said, I have never prepared a lesson as I've heard today. I study my Bible and then I pray for the spirit to guide me. And then I go to my appointment. I stand up, open my Bible up and the spirit has never failed me to give me a lesson as I open my mouth and begin to preach. And it has always guided me to give me a sermon at that moment. Well, the crowd got quiet. It was quite awkward because all of them were there studying how to do it. Very quiet. Finally, another brother, about middle age, stood up. He says, I've got something I'd like to say. And he stood up. He said, brother so-and-so that just sat down is telling the truth. I know him. I've heard him speak many times. And he does exactly what he says. He has come to our church many times. He will open his Bible where it falls open. He will read a passage. And within the next couple of minutes, he's preaching the same sermon He's preached to us for the last 25 years. And he says, and I want to make a point. I just never knew that the Holy Spirit was that boring or repetitive. The place kind of erupted. See, we have uh, a class, you might say, designed for real knowledge. It's called Perspective Members Class where you actually learn how to obey the gospel and know Jesus for the first time. We teach that kind of thing because you got to actually study. 2 Timothy 2.15 still does say, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker. That means it takes effort. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Everything doesn't fit into the Old Testament. Everything doesn't fit into the New Testament. You need to divide the scriptures and understand it in light of their context. Study before you give yourself to anything. Don't go buying something on the internet you hadn't taken a look at, right? Don't commit 
your life to something you haven't taken a good look at. Don't do it. Kick the tires. Walk around it. Take it for a test drive. So if you've studied a little bit, then you've learned that even this can be perceived early. And that is that faith in Jesus is the real deal. And if you'll just apply your heart to it, you can know Jesus. You can know him fully and you can know him completely. And if you get to thinking that I don't need to study to know Jesus, that's like saying I don't need to pray to know Jesus. I don't need to go to church to know Jesus. And I don't need all this church stuff to have real knowledge because I'm going to university. That's foolish. I don't care how smart they are out there because you can't know all that. But you can know this. Amen? And you can know Jesus. Now, if you've decided you want to know Jesus better, we'll try to help you do that. But it's real simple how you get to know Jesus. You hear his word. And if you hear his word, what that says happens, Romans 10, is that suddenly you develop faith. And when you have faith enough that he is the risen Lord and Savior, you say it out loud. You say, you know what? I believe he's the risen Lord and Savior. And if you can say it out loud, then you begin to realize he's the Savior of what? Me. I'm the sinner. So now, not only do I need to say he's the Savior, I need to recognize I'm the sinner and I need to be forgiven. And how do you get forgiven? Well, it's right in there. He tells us, Acts 2, verse 38. Then Peter stood up and he said, Repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Real simple. You can't do it any other way. If you're willing to hear that invitation, it's yours tonight. That's real knowledge. Won't you come if you need to while we stand and while we sing?